0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30 day free trial at www.audibletrial.com The Story Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player.
1: This is a song about the Three Story Men. Life is. Sometimes there's a man. Rather, sometimes there's men. And I'm talking about the story men here. And I know what you're thinking. Those are some tall fellers. I don't know if that's three stories separately or three combined. Well, we're missing the point. Sometimes there's some men. And you want to know what these hombres are about? Well, I won't say they're heroes. They're just the men who are right for their time and place. These men, uh shoot, lost my place. Well, I've probably introduced them enough. So just relax for a spell and bend your ear their way. What is
2: up everybody? Welcome to the Story Man Podcast, episode 164. I am Clay
1: Morgan. I'm 4 And I am Matt Micapocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> we are the story, men. And also
2: you can find us over at to NorvalRogersToThe.com. Uh, we are going to speak today with Zach Hogue about his new book. It's a great conversation. We'll have that for you in just a couple of minutes. But first, there, but first. there has been a
0: cinematic event. <laughs> a, a good DC movie. What? So What's? listeners... You will know that last week I raved about Wonder Woman, but Clay was on vacation and Matt had to be talked into scene. Wait, we had a show. So we now, had a show last week. Yeah, well, you were yeah. on vacation. Oh, well, the- <laughs> we even talked about hockey. Don't listen to it, Clay, because there might have been a Predator fan on. <laughs> That's okay. They lost. <laughs> so <laughs> now all three of us have seen the film, and I I have not even heard Clay's what I haven't heard a single thought from him about it at all. So Clay, I'm. I am on the edge of my seat right now. Walk me through your viewing experience.
2: Okay, I I was really tired. And you know... Oh, no. You know when... when, Oh, no! Listen, listen, listen. listen. But you know how (laughs) normally when my movie recap starts with that? What, what, What normally happens, right? I fell asleep. Yeah, you hate it. Wonder Woman was so good. You guys, I didn't even come close to falling asleep. What? It's like two and a half hours long, too. Yeah, I like yawned and stuff because it's been a really long couple weeks but no the movie was fantastic they set the tone right off the bat with a new dc movie montage that that was reminiscent of marvel movies like maybe they were aspiring to be a little bit better um but she is just a fabulous character i love the backstory i know much less about the character than you guys and I just, for years, have talked about how there's not a lot of great World War One movies. So that's like a side thing for me that's exciting, is how well they portrayed World War One. let alone the way they unravel it with this superhero. And she is super. Now, Matt... oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: That's it, that's it. Matt, you famously uh, hate DC movies, and did... have you still not seen Batman v Superman? I still
1: have not. No okay, I have not. So
0: uh listeners will know that was where Wonder Woman was introduced. So you Matt had not even seen the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. Mm,
1: that's right. In so, fact, I had even not gone to like everyone told me that's by far the best part of that movie and I was like, I don't care. I'm not going to watch even that clip. Like I've literally not watched it at all. Mm-hmm. So this so was my introduction
0: your viewing experience.
1: Uh I was shocked that it was as good as it was. Like, I saw people saying it was good. I started seeing reviews saying, oh, it's good, it's good. And then, JR, you told me it was great. And I'm like, okay, well... I still honestly was, like, a little skeptical. And then I went, and it was just delightful. Like, the script is really strong. The acting is great. The effects were fine. uh, And the story overall was really inspiring, actually, I thought. And unlike, you know, my biggest complaint about the Superman movie followed by what I understand to be of true of BVS, is like a real disregard for human life in a lot of ways. And that was completely opposite in Wonder Woman. It's like, babies are good, and people are good, and let's protect them and take care of them. I'm like, oh, she's like a superhero. <laughs> so, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. In fact, you guys can tell me if this weir- is weird. I don't, uh, uh, is it weird if I wear a Wonder Woman logo T-shirt now?
2: No, no, not at all.
1: No, that's normal, right? Yeah, guys can wear Wonder Woman logo. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, so that. here's here's my question on the heels of those comments, Matt. And I'm glad you had that experience. We know that the BVS and the DC movies have been disappointing, and they have sullied the reputations of, for me, my favorite character, Superman, and for Jr. Batman and whatnot. Now, Wonder Woman held up a real light of an ideal and now we're going to jump back to contemporary times where she is going to join up with these other heroes who have been disappointing so is it possible that she continues to be this good in justice league will she in fact have to lead them out of what they've been in recent years jr
0: oh i i think that's very much how they even sort of left it at the end of batman v superman um, where like all of a sudden now Batman realizes he has to be more inspiring and blah 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 blah, mm. and so yeah, I 100% expect that to happen that there's going to be this new tone of hope and inspiration, Jeff Johns, who is. Uh, who's high up at DC and has been brought in to kind of be the Kevin Feige of the DC universe Uh, just actually was interviewed today saying that moving forward, DC movies are stripping their characters down to their core essentials and making them true to who they are and fun and et cetera. So yeah, like I think, I think, well, and here's the thing, right? If you look at the box office numbers, Wonder Woman had the smallest opening weekend of any of the four EU movies, which is Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, which we didn't even mention. Tuh, tuh, a thousand curses be upon it. And um, Wonder Woman. So it had the smallest opening weekend, but it had the It had by far the smallest second weekend drop-off. And that's really what they're trying to measure, how well a film has legs, because the way Avengers made it to a billion dollars, the way all the Marvel movies have gotten as big as they have, is not just opening weekend. It's that people keep going to see this movie um, two, three, four times, word of mouth keeps spreading it, and people bring in the box office. So Wonder Woman's second weekend dropped only 45%, which is amazing. And uh, it beat out Tom uh, Tom Cruise movie. Now, granted, it had low. Uh, it's the Mummy. It had pretty bad reviews. But even still, Tom Cruise opens at a box office, and that Wonder Woman in its second weekend beat out that. Sent a strong message mm-hmm. to the D, to to DC to Warner Brothers that this movie worked. And I and speaking of that, I mean, Matt, you're one of five people so far who have told me that my review convinced them to see wonder woman like because of dc's history they were not interested in this movie and when i basically said like it's actually a good dc movie like so that's that's another thing not not that i'm so great but just that like literally dc has built up a lot of bad uh will yeah. with moviegoers and with superhero fans and I, yeah clay you asked is wonder woman the beginning of reversing that we'll see what happens with justice league but i, I sure hope so
1: yeah, for sure. I read your review on Norval and was like, "Okay, I'll I'll give it a shot. I'll try it." And I'm glad I did. The only my my biggest regret, honestly, is I feel like I might have to go to Justice League now, which I had already decided I probably wasn't going to go to. So now I'm like, "Well, I guess I have to give it a shot at least. Like maybe maybe it'll be good."
0: Yeah, and Matt, I really like the Norval piece you put up, which was uh, five. Themes in Wonder Woman that Christians can affirm. You want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. I, th- I think I saw a couple articles where people were saying things about like uh, the evil Greek mythology underlying Wonder Woman, which I mean was honestly from some kind of fringe voices. It wasn't anyone major in the sense of like mainstream and their influence in the church. Uh, but it just made me think there's so many things in this movie that were uplifting and really Christian in their worldview that I wanted to write something that just pulled that out a little bit and gave us a place for those of us who are Christian to be able to celebrate together where a big blockbuster movie is actually promoting a Christian worldview on things like people being made in the image of the divine, uh, people being sinful is a big thing, the need for sacrifice, the the world should be protected, like those sorts of things were all through the movie and done in a really beautiful way.
0: Well, we'll link to both of those pieces at nova dot com. I also joined the cast of uh, Real World Theology to talk more at length about some of the theological stuff in Wonder Woman. So we'll we'll link all those in the show notes. But for now, uh, I really want to get us over to the interview with Zach. Uh, Zach Hogue is a, a writer. Uh, he's an author. He has a new book out called "The Light Is Winning," uh, and it's all about um, all of it's it's all about the declining church attendance in the United States, particularly among the younger generations. And uh, Zach, instead of wringing his hands like so many church leaders are, actually suggests that this might be a really good thing for people of faith in the United States. And so it's, it's a really cool conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, Zach has just some really great insights and way to frame this up. So let's hop over to our interview with Zach without any further ado. Well, Zach, welcome to the Storyman. Thank you so much for being with us.
3: Oh, man, glad to be here. Thanks, man.
0: So, Zach, one of the things we always ask guests when it's their first time on the show to do is display their geek credentials, because we're all geeks. So uh, is there anything in the world that makes you a geek?
3: You know, I think if I if I had to put my finger on one thing, it would probably be TV. I, I think that's kind of... That's what I geek out on the most. And um, I just... I, lo- I mean, I'd rather be watching prestige television right now you know what i mean like (laughs) hey hey, (laughs) i mean mean, no offense no 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 that's I, i just feel like that is like that's my my geeky thing and i don't have maybe many that fit into that category but but i love television
0: so this will this will date this episode slightly but like right now what are like your top three shows that you're dying to go watch right now
3: well, you know, I I, I, I might talk about this a little later, but I just I just finished the leftovers, the the, the final season, and that was was mind blowing, uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, I'm I'm kind of dipping my toes into American Gods, which is kind of interesting. That's been sort of fun, and just a number of like little like Netflix. Recent additions: a couple of British shows, some other stuff. So I'm, I, I've got kind of, kind of a lot of things on the burner. Too much, and, uh, and and probably <laughs> like I need to spend time with my children. But that, that that's, <laughs> that's
1: that's the reality. You know, Zach. So Zach Clay, Clay just finished a show. You might, you might have heard of that. You or if you haven't tried it, you probably should. Clay Clay can tell you about that.
2: Oh, I just finished. Well, I just finished for the second time um, with Jen. It was The Wire.
3: Dude. To my shame, I have only made it like halfway through season one. I don't know why. I don't know why. No. Don't know why. There, there's it's, time. it's a sin. I, I think it was like, it's, yeah, I need to get back. Wait,
1: Zach, well, let me start over. We'd like to hear your geek credentials, like something that you're really excited about.
3: <laughs> I just I handed I hand in my card. I mean, just handed it in. <laughs> yes, I know. It's a sin. I know.
1: <laughs> I've heard good things about the leftovers, but I never even started it. Actually,
3: yeah, it's, it's good. good. It's it's great. It really yeah. is. Season one was was a bit of a slow start, but um, but new showrunner season two and and it just became something phenomenal for me. Anyway,
2: Jr. Oh, sorry, Zach. Jr. Should I give my pro tip on how to not watch season one?
0: <laughs> yeah, go for it.
2: Um, I sat down to finally check out this show, The Leftovers, and I was real confused, but I had heard it was a weird show, and then I realized about 40 minutes in that I started off with episode 10 of season one. No!
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So confused. Spoilers. They really
0: really make you assume a lot in this show.
2: (laughs) Well, HBO does a terrible job of queuing their shows. JR and I have been annoyed about this for years, and it actually finally got me.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: Hilarious. Yeah. No, that's true. That's a great point. That's terrible Uh, Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, Zach, one of the uh, – the reason we, we wanted to – we're really excited to talk to you today on the show is because you've been writing a lot and talking a lot lately about something that has been causing much hand-wringing and consternation in the American church, which is the, the rise of the quote-unquote nuns and the other quote-unquote duns. Um, you, you live in Vermont, which is the least religious state in the United States. Uh, so can you can you tell us maybe for people who aren't sure what nuns and duns are like who are those groups what are those labels referencing and and then can you just sort of unpack a little bit of why there's been all of this hand wringing recently?
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and and it's funny because Vermont is we're always kind of like hovering right in like the like forty eight to fifty. You know, really and least religious. <laughs> so so I think we're tied for forty eighth right now, but literally every other like state at the bottom of that list is in new england so so it's just all the same really uh, yeah we are we're right there right at the bottom and and uh and and have been for quite some time um you know the 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 big idea behind the nuns which is really the more prominent um statistics driven uh, aspect of um, of 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 religious decline in the U.S. The nuns are those um, you know the segment of the population that doesn't check the box for an organized uh, religious affiliation. Uh, they check they check none instead of any of the other options, and and that group has uh, steadily grown and and really almost uh, um, uh, exponentially increased since the turn uh, of the century, um, to the point where, you know, it's nearly a a quarter of the population now. And, uh, and that means that, um, uh, you know, all most faiths and and especially you know uh, christianity in all branches um is uh, is in decline in the us and uh and that uh, those two things go hand in hand the duns of course are slightly different than the nuns they're not non religious like the nuns are the duns are folks who are churched who were uh, uh at one point in their lives very involved in the life of the church maybe uh, in their in their childhood or youth, or uh, even in adulthood, um, highly involved at, at various levels um, of of church life, even leadership, and have come to the conclusion for a number of reasons that they are done; that they're not going back to uh, organized Christian uh, um, participation. Instead, uh, are are pursuing uh, a more general uh, kind of spiritual, non institutional. Uh, path, often holding on to their faith in Christ, but 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 saying, "I'm done with church. I can't do it anymore." Um, so that that's the, those are the two groups that that kind of are, are are in focus when we talk about religious declines.
0: I think it's interesting that so many church. I mean, so I'm a pastor, right? So so I deal with this. I get articles forwarded to me, or I see them pop up in Facebook feeds, uh, and I think it's interesting how much of um, how much uh, leadership, like church leadership stuff, is geared around how do we get these people to come to church? Like, how do we get them interested in? Uh, they, I don't know that it's really even interested in Jesus <laughs> as much as it's like, how do we get them to come into our buildings? Uh, and and I know you, I know you're in that world too. Um, So, so where, I mean, you've had a shift in your thinking about this, like what, can you talk maybe a little bit about some of the, some of what you've seen churches trying to do, or maybe the general trends in that and why, um, why you've been dissatisfied with it? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and and you mentioned the, the hand wringing, you know, and I think that is kind of what you're describing is, is the idea that, uh, well, we feel, you know, the, this, this loss, at an institutional level, we feel, um, you know, we're losing people. (laughs) And, and as we lose people, uh, we lose um, the ability to sustain all of the things that we have built, you know, and, uh, and that becomes uh, kind of a lamentable loss. It, it's 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 difficult. It, you know you, we see um, um churches um, declining, individual congregations, uh, um, denominations declining and and uh, and we see closures and and we see downsizing and and all of these kinds of things which are really, can be really painful and and not not in a um, um a super you know um anyway it, it's it, it's natural to feel that way and and i think um that's that's a very real uh thing um uh i think though uh and, and there's a loss of influence a cultural influence i think and, and honestly i think a lot of what we see even um, um, politically right now is is kind of connected to this idea that we are losing our grip on the Christian identity of the country and there's this kind of ferocious attempt to take it back and um, and it, there's a fear you know of, of losing something here a level of cultural influence that seems to be slipping, through our fingers and, and, and that becomes also, um, um, a lamentable thing for, for a lot of us. And, um, and so, um, I think that there is kind of a knee jerk response in light of that to say, what, what can we do? You know, how do we reverse this trend? How do we get people back in to, all that we've built so that we don't fade away so that we, we can keep it all going and, uh, and we can uh, um, maintain uh, the, the institutions that we've built and we can maintain our cultural influence and, and not have things uh, change all around us um, in, in kind of drastic uh, fashion. The problem is I think that that leads to very superficial surface level solutions Uh, um, rather than going deeper into um, what uh, this decline might be presenting to us in terms of an opportunity, an opportunity for reflection, for repentance, for change, for reformation. That's really what we should be focusing on, not just fixing the institutional problem, trying to get cultural influence back. Um, It really should be an opportunity to reflect, repent, change, reform, uh, and see where that uh, that leads us. Uh, a good friend of mine—not to talk too long—but a good friend of mine who uh, is, a, is a missiologist, originally from, from from England. In a conference one time, I asked him, "What do you think about all these statistics and the idea of how to get people back into church? You know, nuns, duns, millennials, whatever?" And he said, "It's all BS because we've got to look at the deeper causes underneath all this, and also the deeper um, realities this is trying to awaken us to."
2: So, Zach, you are framing all of this this exodus and this disinterest, this disgust, whatever level it is, as an apocalypse? Right, right. Now, apocalypse, like when I think of the apocalypse, you know, it actually comes from a lot of biblical visions and things like that, the end of the world, and it's pretty intense, man, It's, it's fiery and it's terrifying, and... And quite honestly, it's why I was told as a kid I needed Jesus. So how did you come up with um, this image and what does that mean when you use it?
3: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, uh, it, th- that's true. I mean, there's 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 no area of Christian thought and theology that is more uh, um, salacious and <laughs> just juicy than uh, the idea of the apocalypse, the idea of the of the last days, the end times, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and that's you know kind of our own fault. We've we've hyper focused on that, especially in the evangelical tradition, uh, and made uh, kind of an entire movement around it and uh, um, uh, but you know what I'm kind of proposing in the book and the way that I am am, am sort of growing to see uh, the cultural shifts that are taking place and and the decline and all of these other things that are happening, is it, it's it's an apocalyptic moment, and by that I mean the word apocalypse literally simply means revealing. It means revelation, and that's that's how the book of Revelation gets its name. It's the apocalypse of John. It's 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 something that is being revealed uh, by God and being communicated, and and uh, and I think that when we look at that word, this sense of a a great revealing. Uh, and a moment, a time of great revealing uh, that brings realities that we'd rather not acknowledge to the surface, exposes them and, and makes us kind of look at ourselves in a way that we aren't comfortable with necessarily, that then does lead to an ending of sorts. I mean, you know, we, we see that in, 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 uh, in our theology of the end times, at least the good kind of theology of the end times, that this is all heading towards an end of sorts. Um, so, apocalypse always brings about an end, but it's an end that then leads to a new beginning. It's never so, an end so that is just a cataclysmic final blah <laughs> explosion, <laughs> and then it's all over. It's a new beginning.
1: That's the point, you know. So, Zach, from your point of view, like, what would you say in this apocalyptic revelation, this revealing? What what is being shown to us in the American church today?
3: Yeah, you know, I I think in general in general anytime there is suffering, anytime there is and that's what this decline is, it, it, it's a moment of suffering um, for uh, for the church, for American Christianity, the sense that we have built some things, we've 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 accomplished things, and and now there's there's uh, there we're losing some things. There's there's a suffering here, and it's a, it's a you know what Richard Rohr might call a necessary suffering, um, and uh, and 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 suffering is meant, uh, I think, to uh, bring to the surface um, the harmful realities, the uh, counterproductive realities, the The destructive realities that um, do not serve us and they do not uh, serve the world and they are not um, a reflection of the heart of God or the person of Jesus. Those are the things that I think are being revealed when we look at Uh, the the church as a a, a place and and a a context in which um, uh, abuses happen, abuses of authority um, that come in various forms. We look at uh, the church as a place where marginalization is perpetuated uh, and exclusion is perpetuated. Um, We look at the church uh, as a place where um, uh, a, a compromised desire for power political power for uh excess and wealth uh um and and these kinds of things um are are being exposed i believe in this time and it's an opportunity to face that reality uh and to do so uh, um in order to yes bring an end to some things but also to step into something uh better and new can we
0: can we talk a little bit more about that authority issue because I think that that as, as I was as I was working through the, the the first section of your book that was a part that just rang really true to me um, and I guess because because you know what what you're what you're even saying here and what you say in the book is you know we, we have a church that has a really unhealthy picture of a power and authority and the reason that the nuns and the duns are gone is is because they just don't want anything to do with that. And so, the, you know, the nuns, they're just like, yeah, no thanks, bye, I'm fine. The duns actually have a much more painful process because they're they're leaving something, right? The nuns never had it in the first place. The duns are the ones who many times have stayed and fought the best way they knew how, uh, have, have tried to be the change they want to see in the church, to paraphrase, you know, Gandhi and hipsters. Um, and... And yet, have just hit wall after wall after wall, and I don't know. Like I, as I as I read your book and as you were describing these two groups, I was like, yeah, that I'd say that's like most of my peers and most of my friends. That's who they are. Uh, so, can you just can you maybe just speak a little bit more about um, what you see the 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 problem with the way we have. Grasped for and modeled authority is.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think there there are so many um, levels to this idea of of um, you know that that we've got a problem uh, with authority. We've got it. We've got an issue. Um, with how we understand and practice um, authority in the church and that that is also the issue um, that that many folks have with uh, the church now It's it, it just authority does not make sense in the way that it currently functions in the way that it's currently set up and in the again the unhealthy harmful things that that tend to uh, um, uh, come about because of it and um, and I think you know th- th- there is, uh, and, and, and there's a sociologist named Josh Packer that I quote in the book and and, and, and have talked to a lot and uh, he focused uh, his research specifically on this this group the duns and you know he makes a great statement saying that you know the duns uh, are not done with the idea of authority in the church entirely it's just the way that that authority manifests that's the problem and it has to change really it has to look more like um, the way, the, the, the ways that structures of authority are becoming, uh, healthier and more accountable in all kinds of organizations and expressions of cultural life. Um, that this is something that maybe the church is just a bit behind on, um, because, uh, um, culturally, uh, um, there's a heightened awareness of this already. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, I think that, that, Maybe what it boils down to is that in the church, we have a sense of um, authority that is by position, authority that that comes because uh, a person goes through uh, various processes, um, whether that's, uh, you know, educational and ordination process um, or that comes about because of a sense of spiritual gifting and calling. And that spiritual gifting call is what grants you the right to have this authority that you can then exert over uh, others. And, uh, and, and there needs to be a shift to authority that uh, comes about because of credibility because of, of credibility in communities um, that, uh, that recognize the authority. Maybe that's, that's bringing us back to something kind of ancient um, where, where elders were chosen because of, of credibility, because of, of their already functioning position uh, and, 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 and place in, in the community. So so that I think it, with, 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 with accountability, with, with structures that support that kind of thing, it, it might be where we're headed.
2: Zach, I'm excited to read the book, and I'm sure you covered some of the questions that are running through my mind right now, and we can talk probably a lot about what the church needs to do and where the church is, and, you know, for someone who is feeling lost from the meaning of their existence, the places where they should be going to find that meaning are churches, but they're done with it. Um, so, for that side of the equation, what what should the Duns be doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in this right now,
3: right? Exactly. Yeah. What's the next step, or what's the what? Yeah. What what choice or set of choices can be made? Um, you know. It, it's interesting. Later, later in the book, and kind of the, maybe the, the the overarching sort of uh, um, direction of the book is moving towards uh, a renewed sense of the need for for religious rootedness, and uh, and that that I think actually goes against the grain, perhaps, of of the direction that that the nuns and the duns seem to be trending, which is towards a spiritual but not religious path, um, a, non-institutional, a, a non institutional, non organized approach uh even if um faith in christ is still the the aim and the goal um and, and so what i'm kind of saying is is um that reform and renewal um are part of this apocalyptic moment this revealing um, but it, it 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 is meant to uh bring about um uh a a uh, a new a resurrected kind of religion, a religious practice and a religious adherence that that has new life behind it and new energy behind it because uh, some of these realities have been faced and and reformation has has begun to take place. So for the that person, for the nuns, for the duns, for those folks who are in between, I mean the the, the initial thing I'm I'm always going to say is you've got to go through the wilderness. There's no skipping past. That desert. Um, there's no uh, um, um, jumping out of of deconstruction and uh, heading, you know, pulling a yui back to where you started. Um, that's not reality. That's that's denial. So wherever you are right now, if you're if you're someone who is is, is non-religious or, or or kind of antagonistic toward religion, or if you're someone who has been a Christian, been um, such a committed person. In the church, even a leader, but you're you're done with it, I would say go through it. Um um, um, go through it and know that God is present with you, even in that wilderness experience. That that is not a place where God is absent, but God is very much present with you. And by going through that, I believe if you keep pressing through, um, you're gonna come out the other side to the place of promise. And 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 if uh, um, my my, you know, inkling is correct, and my own experience is at least something of of uh, of uh, of an example of this. Um, that religion uh, is a part of that resurrection of that place of promise of coming out of the wilderness. Uh, but you can't skip it; you got to go through it.
0: Uh, it's interesting because I think there are so many churches that are also having to endure that journey. Yeah, You know, because, because again, like, uh, I think, I think the institution of the American church is going to have to experience the same dying and resurrecting, which again, you, you, you know, you highlight that in, in the book as well. Um, do you see any churches that are weathering the apocalypse? Well, that, that, that are, that are modeling a faithfulness in the midst of the apocalypse. And if so, like what, what does that look like for a church as a as a whole body you know
3: yeah 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 you know uh, I, I mean i definitely do and and i think in a lot of ways as well we're caught up in something and uh and the thing about apocalypses uh if we're if we're you know again kind of rooting this uh biblically is is that gosh you know you can't stop it right and you can't avoid it uh it's coming for you no matter what and so even if you're resisting it even if you're digging in your heels and you're saying like by gosh we're you know we're not changing and we're we're gonna Uphold the status quo at all costs. Well, you know, it, it might work for a while. It might work, you know, for the rest of our lifetimes, whatever. But the point is that eventually, this apocalyptic moment is going to have its way with all of us, and and that's that's just um, the reality. I think that there are are lots of churches that are incrementally and in uh, um, parts and and in in small steps and in different ways uh, adjusting. Um, as this uh, um, revealing unfolds. And that might look like um, s- theological adjustments. It might look like um, structural uh, adjustments to leadership. And uh, it might look like some churches that come to an end, but then give birth to other churches or send people into healthier uh, churches. It, it looks like, uh, I think, um, um, new New things that we learn from those who are less institutional, from those who have uh, um, chosen to be spiritual but not religious, or who have th- who have been in a place where they feel like they're done. We listen and then we learn and then we make changes based on where those folks are at because it's a legitimate thing, not something uh, that we can just relegate to they're in sin or they're not really saved or we don't need to worry about them. Uh, let's just, you know, purify the, the flock and let them go. We, we listen instead and we make changes based on what we're hearing. I see that happening in lots of places. Big denominations are starting to wake up to things by necessity and, and make really key, uh, adjustments and changes, uh, and then small expressions are doing, are doing the same thing. So, um, so yes, I believe it is happening. And I think this apocalypse is, is, is bringing us forward, you know, kind of by hook or by crook and in, in, in different ways and at different speeds, but it's bringing us forward no matter what.
1: You know, it's interesting, Zach, like, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but today the Southern Baptists, denomination has had this kind of controversial moment where there's an African-American pastor who's Southern Baptist who put forward a suggestion at their annual kind of gigantic meeting that the Southern Baptists officially say we're against the alt-right and against racism uh, but the basically through a series of events it didn't get voted on and then people were furious and now it, it just passed actually like 20 minutes ago from when we're When we're doing this, but it took you know a bunch of time and a bunch of people getting furious and a bunch of negative press, and of course the Southern Baptists were originally founded as a pro-slavery church, you know, a long time ago, obviously. Um, But it's interesting. I can totally see where people who are nuns or duns would look at that and say, uh, when we're talking about authority uh, and things like that. Well, if you're in a church, they can't denounce slavery in a in a a week. uh, Well, not slavery, but like racism. Uh, why would I why would I even want to be a part of that structure? Like if I'm in a house church or if I'm hanging out with my Christian friends who don't go to church, we can denounce that in two minutes. Uh and I, I think there's this interesting obviously there's some advantages to organized religion as well, but there are these places where it's like if you're following Robert's rule of, of order, it affects the way you're able to respond to some things. So what do you do you think there's a place for all of these expressions to coexist or do you think this is a transformative moment where we're moving to a new thing completely? Like what, yeah, what do you think about all that?
3: Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there, Lots of folks have weighed in on the future of denominations, saying, you know, that either they're they're bound for extinction just because of of the way that these shifts are taking place, or that the job of denominations, honestly, is to kind of uh, um be the safeguard of the truth, you know, and uh, and be the ones who who uh, who don't um uh, cow to the cultural uh, um uh, shifting that's happening and and uh, and compromise and. And so there's different different uh, um, views there. I think you know, uh, without saying that denominations will will utterly be uh, removed from the earth. Um, I think that uh, denominations will will have to change how they do things. In addition to um, the specific you know issues like this particular one of. Uh, being able to condemn, um, you know, uh, what is essentially a neo-Nazi uh, group and faction within the conservative movement—that um, uh, that content will have to change, but the structure is going to have to change too. And part of that is going to be catalyzed, I think, by those who have chosen to go outside the structure. Um, in a way. Those who choose to go outside the structure will be um, um, lead at the leading edge, perhaps, of moving larger groups and movements forward. Um, but in the end, those uh, those non-institutional uh, um, folks who are outside the the scope of um, of highly structured um, uh, religious uh, groups um, are going to need structure in order to sustain. It, there's a there's a give and take there. I think that's right, really right. interesting. And and in 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 denominations, as uh, um, again the the codifying or solidifying of movements are, are somewhat inevitable. And so maybe we're just in the shift where um, the denominations that have existed and the ways in which they've functioned simply uh, aren't working the way they need to anymore. And and they're going to have to change, um, oh, oh. or new new ones will come in. Right. So yeah.
1: I do remember a while back, one of my friends was telling me, like, you can't have authoritative structures and have a growing church, and we need to be nimble and smaller and all this stuff. And I was like, well, I don't know. The Catholics have a billion people. (laughs) They're pretty (laughs) authoritarian. And, like, number two is the Orthodox Church. Ditto, you know? Yes. It's like, well, I think we have to, yeah, we have to be careful when we're making those sorts of broad assumptions about things. God does different things in different areas, and... That's true. I think you're right. What you're describing is really compelling. Like something is happening and instead of wringing our hands, we need to be paying attention and saying what is being communicated to us and where do we need to change. It's good.
3: Yeah. And those, you know, in those denominations that, that have um, a function as an, as more of an episcopacy, you know, which is the, 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 um, the thing that, that kind of to delineates, you know, high church for, separates high church from low church or whatever. You know, I think what's interesting there is that even there in the high church, you know, highly um, episcopal uh, structures, um, authority is changing. And and, uh, you know, and we've you know, we've got a pope like like Papa Frank here who uh, yeah. is uh, is an unbelievable, uh, um, protest, uh, to the way that, uh, that authority has functioned, uh, uh, even in highly authoritarian, uh, um, church structure, or at least, um, um, yeah. in the way that it's been passed down. So, so, so again, interesting to see changes occurring, um, um, regardless of the form and, and all of a similar type and, and, and variety.
1: It is funny to see the Pope and think, he always seems like a guy who's fighting against the man. And then you're like, you are the man, dude.
3: You're the, <laughs> you the most. I know. Of. I know. Yes. And the, right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he's, you know, duking it out with cardinals all the time. I don't know, but that's <laughs>
0: pretty sure. It sure he is. sounds like he is. He Especially totally is. The first, uh, the first year or so, like, it seemed like everything he did, all the cardinals were grumpy about. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: If you look closely at photos too, you'll see his knuckles are super bloody all the
0: time. <laughs> <huh>? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Zach, um, just again, I don't want you to spoil like your entire book because I really think people should go read it. But uh, for some of those church leaders who have just been wringing their hands, who are noticing that that the nuns, uh, you know, they have fewer and fewer young people in their churches, no matter how cool their music is, and no matter how skinny their jeans are, um, like what? What if someone genuinely loves Jesus and genuinely cares about? these nuns like what what's like one or two things that they could do as a church leader or as a pastor um maybe you know maybe they're a youth sponsor maybe uh maybe they're a grandparent like whatever like if they just they don't know what to do they have been wringing their hands like what's like one or two practical things that they could do to actually connect with you know these these people that just don't want anything to do with the church that they attend
3: yeah yeah you know, I, it's weird. I think there's a certain dichotomy in, in, in maybe uh, my, my response there, and uh, hopefully not an overt contradiction, but, but, uh, but I think it's kind of twofold. I mean, I really think that, that the initial uh, step is toward inclusion, that, uh, that any move that you can make toward inclusion uh, is the right move right now. And, uh, and, and I know that that brings to the, to the surface, a ton of debate points of debate, but, but, but I'm not really talking about issues or beliefs or, or, or ethics. I'm talking more about, um, legitimately reaching out to include, uh, um, in relationship, um, um, developing church, uh, um, policy or program or, or whatever that, is aimed at openness and inclusion rather than antagonism uh, and and and, uh, and exclusion. And so, so to 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 make those moves, I think, is is an, a first step that has to be taken. the The, the other side to this, and I, and again, this is the one that I think is counterintuitive, um, is that I think in our our congregations we have got to pursue religious depth. And that, uh, and spiritual depth. Uh, because if we see the solution primarily as uh, um, simply becoming uh, um, more uh, relevant to a particular group that we're trying to to reach out to, um, uh, eventually, that is going to be seen as the kind of shallow move that it is. And to... Uh, um welcome and include into a, uh, a community of depth, a congregation of of depth, practices that have depth uh, is what will sustain us uh, for the longer haul. Uh, that's what I think will lead to true and deep resurrection for the church. Um, so hopefully that's not contradictory, but I think I think both things are needed.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Zach. That's so insightful and really helpful. Really, really appreciate it.
3: Um, to me before,
1: before we go, a couple things. One is wanted to just hear just for a moment about a book you wrote called The Light Is Winning, which is about an amazing TV show that really only ever had one season called. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that. What's what's that about?
3: Well yeah so so I've got I've got uh, um a book that's out now and uh and the um the title is The Light is Winning it is absolutely inspired by season 1 of True Detective or as you said the only real season of True Detective because <laughs> season 2 it's just so terrible, but uh, but yes, it, it, um, uh, there is a, a, a scene, a climactic scene in which uh, um, the main character uh, says that line that the light is winning, and and, and that uh, was uh, watching that episode. Frankly, was 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 a really powerful experience for me. Um, it triggered a lot of, of of spiritual awakening and change in my own life because God mm-hmm. speaks to me primarily through the TV, and so. Uh, So I was, uh, I was inspired deeply by that. uh, And and, and that became the title, the title of the book. So, um, so there is a theme there, that uh, regardless of of perhaps how things uh, um, look, uh, both in our uh, own life of faith and and in um, the state of the Christian faith in the US, um, the light is the light is winning, still winning.
1: Awesome.
2: Well, it's a great conversation. Look forward to reading the book. Zach, uh, do you have a couple more minutes to join us in a time-honored Storymen tradition? I, I do. I'm here. Well, it is time, fellas, for the pop culture pick of the week. Pop culture pick of the week.
0: I'm going to go first so no one takes mine because um, I know you all <laughs> wanted it. Uh, it's called. It's a book that Matt sent me because uh, listeners to the story, longtime listeners know that when Matt is considering reading a book, he makes me read it first and tell him whether it's worth his time. Yeah, so that's right. So he sent me an interview with an author named Catherine M. Valente, uh, and she wrote a book called The Refrigerator Monologues. It is a riff on the vagina monologues, and it's also a riff on the term women in refrigerators, which was coined by comics creator gail simone about the the way that women in comics have all these terrible things happen to them they're raped abused murdered and it never is about their character it's always as a plot device to forward the male superhero that they're attached to's uh, character development and so uh this is a novella it is set in the underworld of a comics universe that is an amalgamation of marvel and dc but all the characters have different names but you'll know who batman is you'll know who gene Grey, professor x are like it's very clear if you know a little bit about comics who these who these characters are if you don't you'll still just really enjoy the book like you don't have to know comics but if you do it's like an extra treat and basically all of these women are given a voice and given their own like spotlight and the book is fantastic like i immediately uh told my wife that she would start reading it and loving it and she did uh, I've recommended it to like 50 people already it takes no time to get through if you love comics you'll be amazed at the level of complexity of her world building and the characters will be it was so fun to figure out like who this character is a riff on is it Gwen Stacy is it Jean Grey is it Harley Quinn you know and uh man it's just it's just tremendously good tremendously good writing so The Refrigerator Monologues by Catherine M. Valente. Valente, I'm Catherine, big fan, loved to have you on the show. Um, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. But uh, <laughs> there it is. So that's it. That's my pick. Awesome. Mateo? Uh,
1: yeah, I think I'm going to go with an old classic that I just picked up on Kindle for the first time. It's uh, Walt Simonson's Thor run. He famously had this really huge critically acclaimed fan acclaimed run on the comic thor where he was the the artist as well as the writer and i just read the first trade it was like four bucks on amazon they're having some big sale and it's amazing it's so fun it's like just huge cosmic comic where uh yeah thor it's the first appearance okay i don't want to get too geeky here but the first appearance of beta ray bill which was super fun um yeah it's just really really fun kind of cosmic world shattering kind of uh comic stuff and it's super super enjoyable
2: <laughs> matt says he doesn't want to get too geeky here as if there's any other place to get this geeky <laughs> well let me provide the antidote Matteo, because my pick oh, no. of the week is the pittsburgh penguins oh your dude. 2017 stanley cup champions
0: what oh yes I thought they lost. No, they won in six games.
2: (laughs) Thank you, JR. JR did get to watch his first Stanley Cup Finals game with me this year. I'm a huge hockey fan, as you guys know. I never really talk about sports on here, but this one was pretty fun. The captain, Sidney Crosby, was the MVP. They beat Nashville, which does make it a little more relevant to our listeners than normal because Nashville has kind of emerged as this huge hockey city, and it was so fun to watch all kind of people I know in Nashville discovering hockey this year and just having no clue but just getting caught up in the frenzy of it, and the national media um, really was enjoying playing up Nashville as this new kind of hockey city. But um, in the end, the best team won, and it's the first team to repeat in 20 years. So very exciting for me. Go hockey. Go Penguins. Love it.
3: Awesome.
0: Zach, what about you?
3: Yeah, so as mentioned, my my, my pick is it would be the leftovers, which recently wrapped its uh, its final uh, season, season three. and uh, which I found to be in in you know kind of the whole scope of the series, just a really profound, uh, wonderful, show it's it's kind of making its way into my top five i think and uh yeah i just love it i love it so much and i felt like the series finale was as close to perfect as it could be and if damon lindelof needed some redemption after the lost finale i feel like he got it and uh um, it it answered questions without answering all the questions and it brought closure without bringing too much closure and it was just profoundly emotional and all the grief and loss and pain that kind of characterizes the whole series was all present in that final episode so Mm -hmm. anyway i I just loved uh um, i love the finale i love the final season and just the series in general i think was a really cool contribution uh to this golden age of television
0: Nice. Well, that's The Leftovers on HBO. Uh, Zach, before you go, can you tell us where people can connect with you on the internet? We'll put a link to your book, The Light is Winning, uh, as well as all these all your social media links at storyman.us and at facebook.com slash storyman. But tell us a little bit about where you are online most of the time.
3: Awesome. Yeah. My, my uh, I'm, I'm writing mostly at com, which is my website. And, and uh, you can find information about the book there. Uh, and I also started uh, a, a little podcast there recently. So hey, I'm, new, hey. I'm new, I'm new, I'm new, but I'm getting it. And, uh, and so, uh, so that's all there at zhogue.com. Uh, and then uh, on, on the social medias, I am pretty much zhogue everywhere. So at zhogue on Twitter, zhogue on Instagram, uh, slash Z Hogue on Facebook. You can find me at Z Hogue.
0: You are uh, you're one of my favorite tweeters. I think you've you're you're you've got the medium down really well.
3: I appreciate that. I I, I rant I rant a lot. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I. That, that, that's what I said right um, <laughs> well uh, thanks Zach it's, it's been an honor to have you on we love the book uh, highly recommend it uh, I th- I'm thinking about making my leadership team at my church read it I haven't told them that yet so um, yeah, it's really I think really helpful for anyone who's in the church or like you said someone who used to be in the church or, or just doesn't really get faith um, I, I just think, I think a lot of people can resonate with this book and we didn't even talk about the fact that you grew up in a cult so if people want to hear that they're going to have to read the book uh so yeah, thanks again so much for being on.
3: Uh thanks so much for having me. It was it was a privilege. Thank you.
0: Uh all the links are at storyman.us and at facebook.com slash the storyman. Thanks again to Zach Hogue. The book is called The Light Is Winning. Uh we'll be back next week with another great episode. Until then, thanks as always for listening. Uh make sure you reach out to Zach. Let him know you enjoyed having him on the show. And we'll be back soon.